0: So um, yeah, we are going to be uh, finishing up our Purified series tonight, um, and that is uh, our Atonement series. Is there anybody in here that's been here for every week of this series? Is that is it? has been this is our fifth week. So if you've been here for the past four weeks, nice. All right. So you guys have had some um, pretty hard hitting uh, topics here. This has probably been one of the hardest series that we've done, and um, it has been a blast for me to put it together. But For those of you that have not been here, I want to make sure that we kind of go over some of the things that we have talked about in past weeks. So the first week I was up here and we talked about the cause of the atonement. And so when I say the cause, what I'm talking about is that we are all not good people. And most of you might have been like, ah, that's true, but I don't really want to think about that, so I don't blame you. So if you forgot about the first week, we really talked about the fact that we need atonement. And then remember, Pastor Jared came in and talked about the necessity of the atonement and the fact that we needed Christ to die. Like it was the only option and there was no other option. There was no other way for this to work out. And so that's what Pastor Jared came and talked about. And then Zach was up here talking about the nature of the atonement and how the atonement works and how atonement works and basically about like what that looks like and how that works with us and who we are. And then last week, if you were here, it was probably like sitting in a classroom with Pastor Austin. Um, He was talking about the extent of the atonement. And you probably remember your small group conversations. There might have been people that were talking about both sides of this. Remember we talked a little bit about unlimited atonement and limited atonement and what that means and how that can affect our theology, but ultimately the fact that Jesus is the one that matters the most. So, uh, before we get into today's, um, I haven't been up here in a while, and so I wanted to take a a chance to use one of my illustrations to talk about movies, so that's what I'm going to do. So, recently I've been kind of thinking about movies that make me at the end, like, want to go out and go and, like, do something. So, like, um, one of the ones, have you guys ever seen the movie The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? Uh, Who's seen that movie? Okay. It's it's pretty old now. It's probably about fifteen years old now, but it's uh basically about this guy that's down his luck, he doesn't have a job, he has a kid, they're like living in the subway at some point and things like that. Like in, in New York, he basically has nowhere to go and he can't get a job. And he's like telling his kid, like, you gotta like you gotta like live for what makes you happy, you gotta do this good stuff, you gotta do what's right, you know. And all of this stuff is happening where he's not getting his job. And then finally at the end of the movie Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but it's been 15 years. Uh, it's, uh, he go, he's, gets the job, and he's walking through the mass of people, and he starts crying. And then I'm sitting there in my big chair at home crying, too, as I'm eating my potato chips like, like a worthless person. But, you know, and I'm like, and it's, but at the end of the movie, I get up, and I'm like, I want to do something. Like, I am hyped. Like, I love this. Like, another, when I was thinking about this topic, who has seen The Breakfast Club Who's seen the, br- all right, I think more people have seen The Breakfast Club. Now, that movie is going on almost 40 years old. It's almost 40 years old now, and uh, if you have seen that movie, uh, you know, like, it's basically about these kids that are in Saturday morning detention, and, like, they all, like, are different, like, kids in different cliques, and, like, they got the nerd, the jock, all these different guys, and then by the end of the movie, they're, like, they're, like, best friends, and then, like, I think it's, uh, is it Judd Nelson, whoever is what, the actor that's walking across the football field at the end? And he puts here, don't you forget about me. And I'm like, let's go. Like, I love this, you know? And it gets me hype. Like, I want to go and, like, live more. I want to go hang out with my friends, which I'm an introvert, so that doesn't happen a lot. But it's it's awesome. And, like, if you have seen uh, the new Spider-Man movie, no spoilers, but at the end, yes. Yes. Uh, I've seen it twice, and by the end of that movie, I definitely want to go out and do something. So, But the reason that I tell you about this and the reason I'm thinking through this is what is this, like, feeling that I'm leaving with? And the best word that I could think of is that I'm leaving feeling fulfilled. Like, I have this sense of fulfillment when the movie ends because I will watch any type of movie, but some movies you leave and it's like, man, like, life kind of sucks, you know? But, like, when you leave those movies, you're like, I feel great, you know? Like, this is, like, I I feel awesome coming off this movie. Like, I want to go do something. And see, when the credits roll in those movies, we have this sense of fulfillment. And I want to link this to the feeling that we should have when we think about the atonement. That when we think about the atonement, regardless of whatever conversations you had last week or if you are still confused with what Pastor Austin was teaching about, and if you weren't there, I'd encourage you to go listen to it either on YouTube, Spotify, wherever. Um, it was very good. And, but I want us to leave with this sense of fulfillment. Because with the atonement, we have been fulfilled through Christ. We have been fulfilled and given life because of it. But I want us to leave and understand like, no, this is good. This is really, really good. And so before we do that, there's a few different ways in which we view the atonement and which you can view the atonement in which it may not leave you completely satisfied or completely fulfilled. And these are different views that have happened throughout history, and we are going to go through them pretty quickly. But there are probably like if you, uh, probably like 25, 30 different written ver- like types of viewing the atonement we're not going to go through all of them some of you were like oh shoot what's going to happen no we're not going to go through all of them don't worry but I want to cover a couple because I think some of these are ones that we might commonly think of and we're like okay so this is how I should view atonement this I should view salvation some of them we might not necessarily think about day to day or we might not necessarily view the atonement in that way but it can almost make sense, like it almost clicks. But in reality, it doesn't leave us fulfilled. And then I, towards the end, I want to kind of wrap things up here about how we can use this understanding of the atonement to be better followers of Christ and how we can look to God in the midst of that. So there are multiple different views of atonement. But the first one that we're going to start with, get ready, we're, a lot of big words that are going to be coming out, right? is the ransom to Satan theory, all right? So this is the one that's like kind of the most out there, or at least it sounds like it, but grand scheme, if you think about it, it's a thought process. It, it, it could work, but what this basically means is that Satan has control over the world. We read that in, we read something to that effect in Ephesians, like uh, the prince of the power of the air is basically talking about Satan as the one that is kind of like, watching it lives over the earth because people are sinful and we're all sinful and satan thrives off of sin and being removed from god. And so when they talk when Paul's talking about that in Ephesians it's this removal from god. And so the idea here is that since satan is the prince of the earth or if that's how that's the phrasing that Paul uses that there has to be something that's given to him to be able to be like all right cool like you paid off you paid me off I'm going to go. Like God has to pay Satan off so that he will leave, so that he won't be around and that we can have the earth back or God can have the earth back. And it's an interesting idea because in some ways you could, you could see it. Like, okay, yeah, Satan does have po- like some sort of power, but how much power does he have? And that is where this falls short is that Satan has no power over God. God has complete power over Satan. When Satan was originally an angel, when he was cast out, that's the, that's the thing, is he was cast out. It wasn't like, hey, deuces, I'm heading out. Like It was, no, you are out of here. You are going to hell. I'm creating a place that is just for you because you cannot be in my presence. And he was cast out. And so if we think about this theory, it doesn't work. This Viewing the atonement this way doesn't work because God doesn't have to give Satan anything. God doesn't have to give Satan anything. This passage in Romans helps us see it. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Satan has zero authority over God. And ultimately, for us, Christ defeated death. And he's coming back and he's gonna crush the head of the serpent is what Revelation says. Is that in that, Genesis says that there's gonna be somebody that is gonna come and kill Satan forever. And that's and that's Christ. So that's one of them. That one's a little bit more out there, but it you could it, it might click. But the next one that I wanna look at is the moral influence theory. So these are a lot of big phrases, and uh, I don't say these because I want to feel smart, but i mostly because this is what I copied from some of my textbooks in seminary. So um, I needed to get real names to make it look like I, like it was uh, legit. But moral influence theory, what that basically means is that Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus didn't have to die. But rather, God was using the sacrifice of his son as a teaching moment of God's morality and influencing his creation in a way that we would show gratitude to God. That we would be grateful for what he's done for us. That he would, that his son would die and ultimately that we can look to it and, say, and see like, oh, so the penalty was paid. Like God wants us to see like he is doing the right thing so that we can have a grateful response. And that's difficult. That's difficult because... The biggest thing here, and this one falls short, is that in reality, Jesus did need to die. He needed to die. God isn't just going to take his son and kill him. Like, no, that is sin. That is sin. God is not going to kill his son just for the sake of creating some sort of example. Jesus' death is ultimately means nothing it's meaningless because god is literally using his son in this theory in this idea to get us to respond in a way that gives him glory but that's not what god is doing he's not some sort of guy that light that enjoys the fact that his son had to die that is not it at all Hebrews 2, 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. See, Jesus had a purpose. He didn't just, like, come just to come to be an example, but he came to partake. He came to be human, to be man. See, this moral influence thing, it falls short because it doesn't acknowledge the fact that Jesus had a purpose for being here he had a purpose for being human he has a purpose for still being human that there is this understanding that with that theory that he was just there to serve some purpose all right i am already taking kind of long on these so this next one is called the example theory the example theory basically this one is saying that we should trust and obey God even if it leads to a horrible death. Even if it leads to a horrible death. And it might sound kind of similar to the last one, right? But the last one is, is a, uh, an understanding or an avenue that leads to gratitude and giving God praise because he did something really good for us. But with this one, it's more so that when life gets really bad and life gets really hard and you ultimately, God might lead you to your demise, that, that you should still just follow him. Like Jesus was this example of, oh, like, look, like, even, though, even though I'm living a man, as a man, I'm going to follow God, and he wants me to die, all right, you better believe it, I'm going to die. So that's what this means. That's how they're understanding the atonement when it comes to the example theory. This one falls short. And the reason that this one falls short is that the atonement is not solely about an example. Now here, the thing is, Jesus was an example. I'm not going to deny that. Jesus was an example, and he was a good example for us. He was a good example for us. Look at 1 Peter 2.21. This is what people who kind of view the example theory as like their main um, understanding of the atonement, this is the passage that they'll use. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. So if you read that with the example theory, you read that as leave, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps that I am supposed to be crucified on a cross. If you take that as literally as you can, that's, that's how they're reading it. And honestly, it, it doesn't follow up. Like, it, this is the only passage that talks about some sort of example in regards to his suffering or in, in terms of his death. But if you read it with a lens of living his life and suffering as a man, living life and leading in humility, it reads very differently. And honestly, it reads more closer to the biblical account. And if I had more time, I would take time to kind of dig into that. But for the sake of it, um, I'm going to leave that there. And if you want to talk about it later, we definitely can. But ultimately, what this passage is pointing to is not so much that we follow by example of going to die on the cross, but we live in in his example in that he led a life of humility that even when he suffered in his life, even when he suffered at the the lowest point of his humanity— That he was still humble, he still glorified God, and he didn't sin. That's the example that we should follow. But it's not just about the example. It's not just about the example. This is the last view I want to talk about um, in terms of some of these ones that fall short is the governmental theory. Uh, Is there anybody in here that's like a poli-sci major or like really likes government stuff? Is there anybody in here that's like that? Yeah, are you? Yeah, so... It might work this might work for you. My brain does not is not as cut and dry, but if you are that kind of person, especially if like you want like things black and white cut and dry, this one might make a little bit more sense to you. But ultimately, if you remember the first week we talked a little bit about the cause. Remember, we talked about the law and we talked about the fact that there had to be a way to satisfy God's wrath, that he couldn't be with sin. And so ultimately there had to be some sacrifice. Something had to, had to die and ultimately so that we could live. And so at the time it was animals, right? But what we have to understand here is that when it comes to this governmental theory, it means that there has to be a penalty for sin. That when you break the law, something has to be done. Like you just can't let it stand by and just can't let it rest. You can't just leave it there. But that you ha- something has to be done. And Christ was the one that was, that one that took the penalty. That he ultimately died and suffered because laws were broken and somebody had to suffer. For some, like, that seems pretty black and white. And it seems legit. And I'm going to be honest with you. There is a part of it that is legit. That is true. But here is where it falls short. Where it falls short is that God is both just and merciful. This theory is very right in the sense that, yeah, there is a penalty. Somebody has to take that. Something has to take that. When laws are broken, God can't be with sin. But you are leaving all sort of mercy out of it. Look at this quote from Wayne Grudem. It takes away the objective character of the atonement by making its purpose not the satisfaction of God's justice, but simply that of influencing us to realize that God has laws that must be kept. That this theory, the sole thing, the, old, the, the real thing, the thing that is in main focus is that God has laws, laws are broken, something has to be done. And that's the focus. And we leave it there. And that leaves out every other aspect of what the the atonement means for our hearts, for our sakes, for our life. It's all left at the door. It's all left at the door. And the important thing to take away from this quote is that the purpose should be satisfaction of God's justice rather than just here's what has to be done, we'll move on, you know. Alright, that was a lot. That was a, so some of you guys can wake up. I know it's been a long day for some of you. Uh, it might feel like a classroom right now, but those are important things that I want to put out of the way because you may not actually use any of those words ever again, or at least in this context, but it might help you understand some people's way of viewing the atonement or viewing Christ's sacrifice in different ways. And... There's a lot of these. You know, there's a lot of opinions flying around and stuff like that. Um, I, I often compare it to the fact that there's a lot of opinions, like, about, like, The Last Jedi that, you know, people think it's bad, and here's all the different reasons we think it's bad. But like The Atonement, there is one good answer, and there is one good answer because The Last Jedi is a good movie. But I digress. We're going to keep, we're going to move on from that. Uh, I'm glad nobody's, like, really, like, heated right now that nobody walked out of the room. Um, all right. There is one good answer, though. This is the one answer that most people would say is the good way to view the atonement. And it's called penal substitutionary atonement. What this means is that there is a penalty that has to be paid, like the governmental theory, right? Like the governmental idea. There's a penalty that has to be paid. Laws are broken. God can't live with sin. There has to be something that's done. But it's the substitutionary part that we have to focus on. That there is a substitute that is there to take the penalty. That Christ isn't just some other guy, some other human that's there that's going to take the punishment. But that there is significance in that he is just not some other guy, but he is a substitute. Better yet, a perfect substitute that is taking our sin. It is somebody that is there that is ultimately going to pay that penalty and is going to satisfy God's wrath and it emphasizes the fact that there is true action from the point of Christ and that he's buried on the cross and that God now can view us as righteous because of that substitution. It works because it takes into account God's justice and his love. It takes into account God's justice and his love. So, it's kind of like this. Let me differentiate it from the last one, right? So the, first, the last one is like, a, say, a bunch of people break into a store. They all kind of get caught, and they all escape. They all run away, right? And except for one. One of them gets caught by the police. And they're like, all right, well, hey, those other guys got away, but somebody's got to pay the due. You're coming with me, pal, and you are going to be the one that's going to sit in prison for how long? That's the governmental theory. It just stops there. That he is doing it, he's taking it for the, for the rest of the team. But what this view is, what substitutionary atonement looks at like, is that all these people break into a store and the cops show up and they all run away. And then this dude that's just a bystander, while the cops are about to chase after him, Jesus, he steps in and says, hey, like, I know those guys just broke in, but... I mean, I'll, take, I'll, I'll go to prison for him. It's a human, fully human, somebody that was not affiliated with sin, somebody that didn't have sin, somebody that didn't break into the store, that is coming and saying, I'm going to take this, that I will take it for them. And if this cleans them, if this puts them in good graces, then that is good, then I have succeeded. That's the difference there. He is so, he's similar to us in that he is human, but he's so different than us in that he's perfect. Hebrews 9.26, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's an amazing passage. He would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but he appeared once for us, for our sake. He suffered for that time, and he died a horrible death in a horrible way because he had to bear sin that he did not have. Although, all in all, to put away sin. That's what substitutionary atonement is. That's what it looks like. Now, that's a lot. We just went through a lot today in the past four weeks before this. There's been heavy, like, reading and lots of putting things on the screen, and we are going to wrap this series up, and I don't want you guys to go out and be like, all right, like, cool, I know all this stuff now. I'm going to forget it in a little bit kind of thing. No, I don't want that to happen. And so there's a few different ways that I want us to handle atonement from here. And the first one, and arguably probably one of the most important ones, is don't turn into a theological butthead, all right? And yes, I put butthead on the screen, all right? Email Pastor Rick if you want to, okay? But don't turn into a theological butthead. What I mean by that is that you have been, you now have a lot of big theological concepts. These are things that myself, Pastor Rick, Austin, Jared, that most of the staff that teaches have gone through school, and these are things that we had to study and memorize. And you guys have some of this information now. So don't use this and don't go to your community group. Don't go to your friends. Don't go to the people that you work with or like um, don't come on Sunday morning and be like, actually, Pastor Rick, limited atonement says that we're supposed to understand the Bible this way. Do not do that. Definitely don't do that to Rick, all right? Please don't do that, all right? But that is not how we want to use this. Don't let it turn you into somebody that is ultimately going to make it so that I know all this stuff and I'm going to show everybody that I know all this stuff. But rather, let this knowledge help your study. As you dig into the word, as you open your Bible, as you read books, as you do whatever it looks like to study, that you can now read and understand the sacrifice of Christ with this lens of atonement. That you can come in with this understanding of what atonement means, what it looks like, what, it, what some people view it as, where you might stand on some of these issues that are a little bit different. That when you're trying to grasp and wrap your head around something difficult, that you have some of this knowledge, that you know some of this, that can help you to worship God better. But lastly, and this one is the most important, it's all about Jesus that we can talk about big words that, like Pastor Austin said last week, we, uh, we, you could sit in your dorm rooms or you can sit in your, in your bedroom and argue with your friends over and over about limited or unlimited atonement. Or you can talk about these different theories. And they're good to talk about. They're good to study. But if Jesus never comes up, then we've missed the point. He gave his life so that we could have our sins atoned for. What an amazing thing. What, what, what's, that's something that should humble us, that should make us so grateful. That should, We should want to give him glory because God did not want to give his son, but he did because he loves us. And that's huge. And so let all of your studies, whether it's this topic or whatever you move on to next, remember that it is all about Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into some small groups, right? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study this. Understanding truth and understanding knowledge is extremely important. And it's because it comes from you. Help us to study well. Help us to learn well. And now that we can understand or at least have a better grasp on the atonement and what your son did, Help us to use that in our studies. But Lord, help us to remember day in and day out that it all comes back to your son and his work on the cross. And if we don't remember that, then we have missed the point completely. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this room. In your name I pray. Amen.